If you would take your Bible this morning and turn to Titus chapter 2 once again. Titus chapter 2. And just a reminder, I forgot to mention during the announcements, our Faith Promise Missions coming up, conference coming up, there are Faith Promise cards in the little table in the foyer on the way back. Trust be praying about what the Lord would have you to give this year for Faith Promise. And they're there for it so you can fill in the amount that you plan on giving. And we'll collect those and tally those, of course, the Sunday after our conference. Titus chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading again at verse 11. And I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak... And exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. The Lord has blessing to his word. Let's pray. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege we have to open your precious word. And I pray, Father, as we look into the word of God today, that we quiet our hearts before you. We give serious consideration to what we hear. I pray that your word would go forth in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. And the Spirit of God would use it to, to teach us and instruct us. And, Father, convict where conviction is needed. And, Father, whether there needs to be repentance, I pray that, Father, the Spirit of God would just, just convict of righteousness and judgment to come. And have your will and way, and may you be glorified, and may we be helped, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, how often do you and I read headlines or parts of stories just to satisfy our curiosity and fail to get the whole story or all the details that impact the whole narrative of whatever it is we're reading, and thereby we can come to some false conclusions because we didn't read the whole thing. Sad to say... But that is the way many read and understand the Bible. And thereby, their understanding of God and how he relates to man is severely flawed. Some time ago, I was talking to a person who has an unbiblical view of God. And I asked that person, have you ever read the whole Bible through? The answer was no. But I had also asked that person, do you think you know pretty much about God? And the answer was yes. But they admitted that they had never read the Bible. And so a follow-up question that was to this person, well, where does God reveal himself? Well, where can you learn about God? Well, I guess the Bible, of which you have said you have never read. Therefore, how can you say that you think you know a lot about God? To which the person did not have an answer. 
You know, God's grace is one of those doctrines of Scripture that is severely twisted in our day. In fact, what many, the vast majority of Bible teachers and pastors, so on and so forth, teach false doctrine concerning God's grace. Uh, They follow the false teaching of men like Chuck Swindoll, and in his book, Grace Awakening, which was very popular some years ago, a lot of people talk to me about this book, and I've never read the whole book. I've read portions of it. I've read uh, uh, what others have said about it. But I, I know something about Charles Swindoll. I used to listen to him on the radio. And anyway, in this book, Grace Awakening, he says that grace gives deliverance from restrictions, real or imagined. Grace gives, quote, permission to be free, unquote, or free indeed, quote, unquote. And, you know, you will be free. One author wrote concerning this and said, quote, The clear, loud call for accommodation comes wrapped in the name of the gospel of niceness. Sin as the source of all human problems is banished, and a call for repentance is rarely made, unquote. But what does the Bible, God's word, say about the doctrine of grace? That's what we need to understand. True, Grace does liberate us from the penalty and power of sin, as we shall see. But it also teaches us to deny ourselves and our lusts and to live righteously and godly in this present world. Oh, that sounds like sacrifice. That sounds like something we are denying ourselves of. Uh. You see, we have forgotten we have a Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says His commandments are not grievous. And, and you know, we are the servants of the Lord, the Lord who has liberated us from the sin's penalty and sin's dominion or control over our lives. And we are to live free for and serve our Lord and Master, Jesus the Christ. By the power of God that he freely gives us, that is available us, to us through grace. You know, we see here in this passage that grace teaches us some things. And that word teach means to correct with words, to mold our character by reproof or admonition. So this morning, we want to look at several things. First of all, the proffer of grace in verse 11, says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The word proffer means to put before one for acceptance. So God has put before all men, everyone, the offer of the grace of God. Now the word grace means, a simple definition is, a, is the unmerited favor or blessing of God. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 9, you, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says, And you hath he quickened, that is, to be made alive. That's what quickened means, make alive. Who were dead, dead means separated from, in trespasses and sins. So we were separated from God by our sin. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So we're ener- they were, we were energized by the devil and and it says, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we were all, that's, that, that's a description of human nature, 
But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, that means to make alive, quickened us together with Christ, for by grace, by the unmerited favor of God, are you saved or delivered from your sin, hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son, Colossians 1 tells us, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, grace is that kindness which God bestows. It's his favor upon even the ill-deserving, and he grants to sinners the pardon for their offenses and bids them through through the acceptance of himself to receive eternal salvation through Christ. And, of course, this grace is offered to all. In Romans chapter 5, in verses 17 through 21, the Bible says, For by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more than they that which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteous shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So by one man, and it, it, that's, of course, Adam's sin. And, and of course, we've all, uh, we've all sinned. We're all sinners by nature because of Adam's sin. And so we received it by nature. And we're, we're sinners by nature, by choice. So, so, but we also receive this abundance of grace and gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. For by one man's disobedience were made many made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so grace might reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So God offers to this grace to all, though sin abounds in us. We are sinners by nature. We've offended the holy God, yet this grace is offered to all who will receive it through Jesus Christ. Sin entered the human race by one man. Eternal life is made available to the human race by one man. That is Jesus, the Christ. So we see this offer, this proffer of grace for acceptance to all. It's appeared to all. Jesus Christ appeared as the Savior of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. That means all of mankind. The second thing we see here is this provider of grace, and that is God. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God is the person with the authority and the responsibility of this offer of grace to mankind. So I want to consider a couple things about God. First of all, consider the person of God. Verse 13 says this, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, understand what's being said here. 
Jesus Christ is being called the great God. He is the great God. He is the great God. That word great is where we get our word mega. It's the Greek word megos. It means persons eminent for ability, virtue, authority, power as God and sacred personages. You know, God is the great God. In, in uh, Psalm 89, Psalm 89 in verses 6 through 10, the Bible says this, Who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? By the way, God isn't the only one that has access to heaven at this present time. Satan also has access to God. And of course, remember, Satan said, I will be like the Most High, and God cast him out, cast him down. But who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or thy faith to thy faithfulness round about thee, thou rulest the raging of the sea. It was Jesus Christ who calmed the raging of the sea. And <coughs> excuse me. When the waves there arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces. And that, that title, Rahab, there is a reference to Egypt. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces, it says, as one that is slain, thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. Uh, and God broke, you know, it was God, the great God, that broke the power of Egypt by their own enslaved nation, Israel. Think about it. God broke the power of Egypt. Egypt was the power of the world at that time period. And God broke Egypt, the power of Egypt, by their own enslaved nation. Remember, it was Pharaoh who said, in response to Moses' request to let my people go, he said this, and Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? That I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. You know, that was in defiance to the command of God that had been given by the Lord's servant Moses. And he says, who is the Lord? Well, God destroyed Egypt. Who, in the, who, who can be compared unto the Lord? Who? This is the captain of the Lord's host. Joshua chapter 5 describes him as, who gave instruction to the destruction of Jericho when the children of Israel come out of Egypt. And, you know, modern scholars have questioned whether that was really a reality, but archaeologists, through their diggings and so have found that, hey, what happened at Jericho and the archaeology findings agree with what the Scriptures teach. Even to the point that there's a, there's a portion of the houses that are built against the outer wall are still standing. I wonder why that is. Well, that's very easily explained because... The two spies that went at Jericho were hidden by Rahab who had a house on the outer wall. And they told her, they told her, you, you, you know, she asked for deliverance for her and her household and they told her, you bring all your family into your house and you will be safe there and we will deliver you. And that, that poor, the only one or two houses there are left standing of the whole city. This is the same God that fed manna, uh, Israel with manna for 40 years in the wilderness. 
Of course, our Lord Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. And then he said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He spoke this to Martha. And then in verse 43, he stands at the grave of Lazarus after the stone has been rolled away. And he shouts with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You see, the resurrection and the life has the power to give life. And Lazarus came forth, bound in grave clothes. This is the great God. The God who created the heavens and the earth by his mighty power. Breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul, an eternal being. This is the person of God, the holy and righteous God. And we see here that not only is this, that he is the provider of grace, we see the provision, the provision of grace is God himself. If you notice in verse 14, it says this, who gave himself for us. So think about it. What, look, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. So the great God gave himself for us. You know, Job asked the question in Job chapter 9, verse 2. He says, I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? How can a man be just with God? Well, the Bible says here that the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us that he might redeem you know, when you redeem something, you, you, you buy it back and set it free. It's the idea of setting free from, buy it back from. And, and you know, it would be like buying a slave to set them free. That, that's redeeming. And, and so he, he gave himself that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And we know iniquity is another word for sin. And the wages of sin is death. It separates from God. So, so he, he, he paid the redemption price that we could be redeemed from the penalty of our sin and, and, and receive everlasting life. Somebody says that grace really is spelled God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, grace is a means by which God has provided redemption from sin and death Death simply means separation. So from sin and separation from God by the sacrifice of the Son of God himself. Now, go on a little rabbit trail here. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's obviously speaking about Jesus Christ. Then verse 18, it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So the Son of God has revealed God to us. He's made known the person of God to us. And then verse 29 says, the next say, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away 
the, the sin of the world. So God revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ might take away the sin or take upon himself the sin of the world. We, we see an illustration of that in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is instructed by the Lord to take Isaac, his only son, and go offer him as a sacrifice. Abraham being obedient to the Lord, I don't think Abraham really understood everything about all this command, but he being obedient to the Lord, he took Isaac, his son, to the mountain that he, that he was shown and laid him on the, on, on the sacrifice to offer him for sin, And as he was raising the knife to kill his only son, the Lord called to him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. But on their way to the place of sacrifice, Isaac, the son, says to his father, Abraham, Father, we have wood for the offering, but where's the sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, Genesis 22, 8, The Lord will provide himself a lamb. And in John chapter 1, John the Baptist said, Behold, looking at Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, that is God, hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, God provided a lamb, an offering for our sin. That perfect lamb was the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read this morning in John chapter 3 and verse 14 through 18, where, again, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up as a sacrifice, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son of the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, God provided himself. He was the offer of grace. The provision of God is himself. He gave himself to redeem us from all iniquity. We see a third thing here. Not only we see that redemption is offered by the grace of God, through God himself, but we see also the power of grace demonstrated and taught to us in verses 11 through 14, where again it says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that. Now this is the part that most like to leave out. Because now we're starting to talk about Oh, how grace actually affects my living. And I've said before that a Christianity that doesn't affect your life is of no consequence. It's just like any other religion in the world. It's of no consequence. No, 
No, the Bible says that it teaches us. That word teaching means that it instructs us, it corrects us, it molds our character, it ought to change our life. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, uh, ungodly, that we should live uh, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from, not in, from. So if, we're, if we've received of the grace of God, we ought not to continue to live in our sin. We've been redeemed from it. We've been given power to overcome it. From all iniquity and purify unto himself, by the way, that's an ongoing thing. Purifying is an ongoing process. A peculiar people, zealous of good works. So we, so we want to see several things here. First of all, so grace gives, it gives redemption, salvation, deliverance from sin, or the wages of sin, which is death. Verse 11, grace of God that brings us salvation. So the grace of God through Christ sets us free, sets us apart from sin's penalty. Your Romans 6.23 says the wage of sin is death. So in, in ourselves, uh, uh, without Christ, we were without hope, without God in this world. We're under the condemnation of God. We're under the penalty of sin, which is death. Separation from God. Death means separation. But the grace of God bringeth salvation. It bringeth. So it brings deliverance from that penalty of sin. Uh, and, and that's what... The book of Romans declares for us in Romans chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, so we've been justified. That means we've been declared righteous by God. That means we've been made righteous by God through through Jesus Christ our Lord, <coughs> excuse me, verse 12 goes on and says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, talked about it a little bit, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So sin entered into the world through Adam's sin, and it, it death passed, or separation passed upon all men, because we've all sinned. You know, as I said last Sunday, you know, some people have this idea, well, is life just not fair? You know, why all this hardship in the world? Well, you know, welcome to the real world of sin and corruption. That's what sin has done to the world. It isn't God's doing. It's not God's fault. It's man's fault. By the way, our sin adds to that. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. None of us can say honestly that I am without sin. All you have to do is start going through the Ten Commandments. You know, there was a man who thought that. Came running to Jesus, said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? There's one good. That's God. And then he said, You know the commandments. And he, this, he said, then he responded to that, Well, well yes, I, I, I have kept all those from my youth up. And then Jesus said, One thing thou lackest. Go sell all that thou hast, and give it to the poor, and come follow me. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. But he was very rich. 
And he went away at that saying. He went away. Why? He wasn't willing to repent of his covetousness because one of the commandments is, Thou shalt not covet. Another one is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Obviously, that money was more important to him than eternal life was, more important than Jesus Christ was. You see, we've all sinned. But we, we can be justified, declared righteous. And so, uh, and verse 15 of Romans 5 says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. If through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And so, Grace gives us deliverance or redemption from sin's penalty. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you've repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation anymore on you by God. Because we've been declared righteous. Through Jesus Christ, the righteous one. No condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, that law condemns me. You start going through the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So you've always put God first in your life. You've always given God's time in your life. Thou shalt not steal. You never stole anything. Thou shalt not kill. Well, no, I never killed anyone. You know, I had a guy in Maine say one time, well, I never killed anyone. No, but he, he raped his granddaughter. He was trying to say he wasn't a sinner, deserving of judgment of God. He raped his granddaughter. See, we have this idea that I don't do real bad, quote, bad sins. We're all right before God. There's no such thing as a not bad sin before God. It can be a little, what we call a little white lie, but still a lie. See, we've all sinned. We've all offended the Holy God. But we can be set free, uncondemned, when we repent of our sin and trust Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Uh, but we have to accept God's grace. You know, in Romans chapter 10, Apostle Paul speaks of the children of Israel, and he says then in verse, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, they might be saved. I bear them record, they have a zeal of God. In other words, they, they talk about God. They, wanna, they, they, they think they're the people of God, and they, and they acknowledge God and all that. But he says it's not according to knowledge. They being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, these Jews were trying to justify themselves. They refused to accept Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for their sin. Again, they didn't think they were that bad.
God says Christ is the end. In other words, he's the one that can deliver you from the penalty of God's holy law. And that law condemns us to death. So he can bring redemption. There's redemption. The power of the power of grace is it gives redemption. Secondly, the power of grace it instructs us how to please our Lord and our Creator. If you notice again in verses 12 and 13, it says, It's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the reality here is that it provides for us a means to fulfill the purpose for which we have been created. God created us, God created man in his image, in his likeness, with the purpose of fellowship and worship, to fellowship with God. God didn't create, the, he didn't breathe into animals the breath of life. He breathed into man the breath of life. By the way, that's the first time the word life is used in the Bible. When he breathed into man, man's different than an animal. He has a living, eternal soul and spirit. Sorry, but your dog's not going to heaven. Doesn't have eternal spirit or soul. Man does. But see, life lived without God is vanity. It has no lasting purposes. Ecclesiastes talks about life under the sun. And how Solomon, the wealthiest man, the wisest man that ever lived, you know, had all the th- all a man could want. And then he looked at it all and he says, Oh, vanity and vexation of spirit, there's no profit under the sun. If you just live for the world, what profit is there? He talked about how you could li- you know, if you live live for the world, you can you can gain and gain and gain and leave it to someone who wastes it. What profit is it? But Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, he, said, he, he says this, He has set the world in their heart. One commentator described that as setting eternity in their heart. In other words, God put it within man, the desire or the understanding that there is a creator to be worshipped, to fellowship with, to fellowship with. That he has an eternal purpose, uh, he has eternal purpose. You know, a missionary used the phrase eternity in their hearts to describe the phenomenon of redemptive analogies in most all aboriginal cultures. You know, almost every culture has traditions, customs, or ways of thinking that reflect basic Bible truth. For example, when the Francis went to Taiwan, one of the things we learned about as they began to study the language that the Chinese word for righteous, and they use characters, so like artwork for words, the Chinese word for righteousness is lamb over me. Where does that come from? It comes right from the Bible. Lamb was the sacrifice for sin that made man righteous with God in the scriptures. You see, Romans 1 
Verse 19 says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it on them. The invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are out of excuse. How can one honestly look at creation and say, Oh, it just happened? Who made water? Romans 2, 14, 15 says that the Gentiles that know not God, uh, which, which ha- do not have the law of God, do by nature the things contained in the law, uh, these having not the law are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, uh, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. See, man has a conscience also that tells him there is a God and that that's wrong, that murder's wrong. Life is right. See, grace, God's grace teaches us, it reveals to us through his word and the person of the spirit what is pleasing and acceptable to God. Let, let me illustrate here. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. And I must hurry. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, and again, lots of pastors and teachers like to isolate verses 9 and 8 and 9. But did you know that verse 10 follows 8 and 9? And it's in the same context? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we, who have received of the grace of God, should walk in them. See, the grace of God is teaching us that there's a conduct, a manner of living that's pleasing to God, and there's one that is not. And the grace of God will correct us It will mold our character. It will change our manner of living to bring it into the conformity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, In Matthew chapter 5, and uh, of course the Lord himself, this is called the Sermon of the Mount, and again this is lengthy, but I'm not going to read all of it for sake of time. I just want to point out a couple of verses here. In verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, Oh, do you feel blessed when you're reviled? And persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets which were before you. Now, how would the world say, or how would your human nature respond when you're reviled and when you're persecuted? I know how mine responds, my human nature. It doesn't take those things setting down, if you know what I mean. But Jesus said that you're blessed, and this is how he says you respond. If you go to, to verse 43, he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. By the way, you understand that's what God is like. 
See, a lot of people have this idea that God's this mean judge up there in heaven who just wants to destroy everyone, judge everyone for their sin. No, God sent his son not to condemn the world. If you are condemned by God, it will be of your own doing, your own choice. No. If you want to be like the heavenly father, you love your enemies. That's why Jesus said to those that crucified him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's why he said to Judas, who is betraying him, to, to the enemy, Friend, betrayest thou me with a kiss? You see, that's what grace teaches us. It teaches us to put off the things of this world, to put on the things that please and honor the Lord. And then lastly, it is the grace of God that gives power to live for God. Again, verse 14 says this, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So that he is he that redeems us, it's he that purifies us. So it's God's grace that works in our lives as we learn of him. It's God's grace that works in our lives that brings about a transformation of life. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you know, the, the greatest example of this we have in the scriptures is the Apostle Paul himself. The Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, as we knew him before he got saved, before he met the Lord and received him as his Lord and Savior, was a blasphemer, he was a murderer, he persecuted God's people. But then he met Jesus and he got saved. And his life was completely transformed, changed. And this is what he said, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, other buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth there. According to the grace of God which is given to me, he says. In 1 Corinthians 15, or, yeah, 15 <coughs> excuse me, verses 9 and 10, he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet or fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which is bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You see, it's God's grace that gives us power, that enables us to overcome sins of the flesh. Gives us power to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, to deny the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You see, the grace of God teaches us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know, sin abounds in us. We're sinners by nature. 
We're sinners by choice. We've offended a holy God. But God, through His love and grace, His abounding, unmerited favor, offers to us eternal life, a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the offer of grace is to all, unto all, it's appeared to all, who will repent of sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Redemption through Him. See, grace enables us. It brings salvation and it enables us to deny self. To live, no longer to please ourselves, but to live liberated from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the dominion of sin, to live free. Free to serve and fellowship with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Have you experienced of that grace of God? Have you seen, are you seeing the grace of God working in your life? The grace of God hath appeared to all men. It is available to all if you will receive it through our Lord Jesus Christ.